Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. I'm a blur with a love of artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production compared to its original source material and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year in the Lagoon theme park in located in Utah, which is probably why you haven't heard of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the year the TV movie Terror in the Family was shot. Um, it has to do with a rebellious teen mm. who is uh, using violence to deal with their problems and their parents can't do much about it. Somehow all those things will connect later. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it's one of those things where it's just like, there are moments when you hit the nail on the head. There are like so a lot of moments when you hit the nail on the head. This, this, you built an entire structure with the amount of nails to it. <laughs> <laughs> I do hope this movie did well um, just for the sake of this <laughs> right now because we are going to be dealing with a bunch of rebellious teens <laughs> in fact some of them may be terror twins <laughs> uh, as we are going through once again Young Justice season 2 now called Young Justice Invasion we are continuing the coverage today with episode seven through nine. We have episode seven called Depths, episode eight called Satisfaction, and episode nine called Darkest. Um, because of everything that comes up, uh, you know, especially because I'm feeling like the cost of that movie to make was probably a bad maneuver, but also because of the fact that we do see that Roy Harper loses an arm. Um, you might say this set of episodes might cost us an arm and a leg, as we are calling it today, costly maneuvers. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know someone who makes a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Timing-wise, for our set of episodes here, we are going through March 19th to the 24th. What's that, like five days of pure chaos? In this? It's, a, it's a rough five days for oh everybody Oh, my God. Involved. Word. Somebody give these people some PTO. Like... Also, that there's one aspect. I don't know if they could have done that in five days, but all right, I'll give it some leniency on it. <laughs> all right, we'll we'll find out what that is. Um, we we'll find out all the players in this too, because uh, we got a cast list that's kind of short today, since a lot of them we've already been introduced to. Uh, we have Carrie Walgan Walgren, who is a uh, new on our set of episodes here in Young Justice, but we know her as the voice of Starfire in our DC AMU films, Justice League versus Teen Titans. And honestly, the movie that gave us one of the best lines ever of Papa, here's your pipe, Teen Titans Juice Contract. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line so much ever since you mentioned that connection. And it's (laughs) high tier, 
high tier writing, y'all. Uh, <laughs> but Carrie is here today as Carol Ferris in our depths episode. And she's our, really our only newcomer. So um, as a reminder, the rest of the team that is here from the OG team, we have Jesse McCartney as Nightwing, Jason Spizak as uh, Wally West, the former Kid Flash, Danica McKellar as Miss Martian, Nolan North as Superboy, Stephanie Lamellon is Artemis, and fun fact, is also the voice of the Zeta Tube um, computer AI system. And rounding out our main characters here, our focus characters, Crispin Freeman is the voice of every version of Roy Harper we will meet today. <laughs> <laughs> and Carrie Payton is Calderon, who has unfortunately outgrown the name Aqualad by the set of the end of these episodes. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, it is time to Zeta Tube over to see how much is it for an arm as we begin our next set of episodes here, starting with Depths. So we got our man Godfrey complaining about the new SpaceX satellite that will connect Earth to Mars. And he's basically just against further alien-human communication at a time when there's an invasion. And speaking of people who are mad at people, Wally is also mad at Artemis because she's about to head out to the field for a mission. And they have this great conversation um, making valid points about why they gave up the life and everything. And they end with a classic statement, what could go wrong? And we get a hard cut <laughs> to a future moment in the near future where Artemis will be bleeding out while Nightwing tries to save her. And that is just the opening, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's wild. Even even wraps up with him announcing to um, an unseen audience that she is dead. So... We're stuck here wondering, you know, was it that HBO Max jumped ahead or was this just really good writing? Um, definitely the latter, because we hard cut to the beginning of our episode here as we jump back about 10 hours in it, um, earlier that day. Nightwing is talking with Mal and Superboy about um, finding the new recruits on their team, which are Impulse and the original Speedy, both of which are basically being washed over, but Mal and Superboy is just joking, saying they're knowing that this is going to end up being their problem sooner rather than later. Um, and then another problem appears as, you know, I feel like once a season, I get a character who I don't like. Last season, it was Roy. <laughs> this time, it's Lagoon Boy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, Lagoon or whatever his oh, name is. Oh, God. Yeah. He just comes in and he's trying to flaunt his riz all over the place, just saying like, "Oh, look at me! I got Megan. Mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the best. I'm the, I'm better than Superboy." And of course, Super Connor is like, "I'm kind of sick of this whole rivalry." Um, but before they can scatter, Artemis arrives, and they find out that they have a mission to guard that SpaceX satellite from all of the saboteurs out there on Twitter who didn't get the blue fit. Fi- verify check marks and want some <laughs> revenge. <laughs> oh, damn. Elon Musk will come after us. <laughs> That's how we're going to get our checks. Uh, and before they can head out, they re- uh, Nightwing says, you know, I've been running the team from the sidelines. I want to put me in coach. I'm ready. So he goes on the mission too. As we head straight into a press conference, with Godfrey just annoying the hell out of Carol Ferris and Martian Manhunter. 
Yes, he questions, um, you know, the typical things such as, are we sure we even want to establish this connection during the moment when there's an invasion is going on? And Carol and Marshall may have to give good answers. They are confident that this is the best uh, course that they can go with because it will help to foster the relationships, especially given the fact that like Earth is in, you know, it's in the galaxy. There are a bunch of other planets all around in different galaxies. And Earth and Mars share a sun. Why can't they be neighbors? To which I got to say, damn Godfrey for coming back with this retort. Oh, so we're going to we're going to ask Mars for a cup of sugar while they invade us. Um, oh, I'm mad when somebody that evil gets set up. <laughs> yeah, but it, they all that's also racist, assuming all aliens are Mars. Words. Exactly. <laughs> we don't like you, Gordon Godfrey, and your Tucker Tech- <laughs> Carlson antics. <laughs> recently, coincidentally, Godfrey was also recently fired from uh, whatever <laughs> news network they have in that universe. Um, this gives uh, Martian Manhunter the opportunity to fly away. And uh, it's also we also see that Superman is out in the distance. But it's then revealed that this is now actually Superman and Martian Manhunter, or rather Miss Martian and Superboy impersonating their, um, their mentors in a way. Because, of course, at this point in time, the world still does not know that the main members of the Justice League have been off-world for, at this point now, just about two months. Yeah, because even I forgot <laughs> when they did that. <laughs> I was like, oh, they must be back. Yeah, I do like how Superboy says, oh, I hate wearing this monkey suit when he's in the Superman costume. <laughs> nice little, nice little, like, you don't have to take your hatred of monkeys everywhere, Connor. <laughs> like, you can you can chill. That's how, starting to sound like Frieza. Um, oh, but my in, God. <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, we get everybody spinning up to their different positions in the mission. I love Lagan gets stereotyped as the water guy, and I'm like, my guy, what are you? You're, you're a damn fish. Go in the water. Like, what are we talking about here? Um, I was tight about this because I was just like, we already we already know that you can't be like the gentle summer breeze guy. Like, we see what happened to Calder when they were in that desert mission. I f- you, no, stay in your lane. Like, why are you getting upset? You knew what this you. Being the way you are, you know how this works. Yeah. You, you're complaining about working from home. Come on. <laughs> um, so, and uh, of course, Black Mantis soldiers start to swim in. But here we also get Connor and Megan are in the air. And we finally get the the fight that we've been waiting for between them. Mm-hmm. Where this is, a, this is a great joust. Just dialogue here is off the charts about... Um, their their relationship because Superboy just comes out and says, "I don't like how you you manipulate people's minds." I saw what you did to people they left in catatonic states, and straight out compares her to Simon mm-hmm. as how bad she is. And this is where it breaks out, as in their heat in the argument that Megan tried to make Superboy forget feelings about um the the mental touch. And he go he his line, his response, uh, you know, she, oh, I didn't think you would notice. And he goes, you don't think I know you so well. You don't think I know the touch of you in in my mind and how much I hurt when you betrayed that. Mm. It's like, oh, my God, that sounds like 
you got a Bruno Mars song coming out soon. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that that deep hurt. <laughs> Where my boy is singing in the rain. Like this is. <laughs> Uh, this is again. I this was one of my favorite moments of this episode because um, just early statement on all these episodes. Each one, in its own way, had some really great, strong dialogue, um, which I was surprised to see. Um, not just because it's like an animated show, but just because it, these were happening in the middle of action scenes. Like we've. This is why we like talking about these animated productions because you get strong moments like this in a medium that not many people are probably looking at. And then, boom, knocks you off your feet on the edge of your seat. Don't know what to do next. Um, because in our next scene of the show, it's clear that the attack is about to begin as Lagoon Boy, who is still upset about not being able to be with his angelfish rolling my eyes very hard right now at that comment. He sees that Black Manta and his forces have come together. And Nightwing suggests that he wait backup as Superboy volunteers to take uh I didn't know these were what they were called the rebreather I just called them <laughs> I just called the water mask <laughs> rebreather actually kind of makes a bit more sense <laughs> um he offers to take one to head down underwater to help out but Lagoon Boy wants to show that he is better than McGann's super ex-boyfriend yeah he's he's the aggro one this season mm-hmm. and unfortunately He's a little too confident as the water boy because he ignores the advice. He pretends they're static on the psychic link, which is pretty funny, <laughs> and tries to take on Black Manta men himself. But he is he just is overwhelmed by the amount of forces. He's just not expecting that many people. So McGann throws on some gills at Nightwing's suggestion and dives underwater. But unfortunately, she can't stop Lagoon Boy from getting knocked out by Calder, who is clearly the superior waterbender. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, as the this all-out battle is beginning, Carol Ferris says, um, let's, uh, let's get this countdown going, and just gets the rocket ready to go. <laughs> I never knew that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered, like, why do we wait like hours before the launch? And I'm here in my mind as I was watching this, just justifying. It's like, oh, maybe they're trying to clear airspace, you know, maybe all that. And then she's just like, nah, 52 minutes left, two seconds left. Switch yourself <laughs> real quick. <laughs> so for all the rocket scientists out there, why do we wait? <laughs> um, so as the as they're prepping for the the rocket and the commsat to head on up into space. This is where Nightwing and Artemis, they see off in the distance that some of Black Manta, um, Black Manta's men are are coming out from the water. So they decide to try to take them down. Unfortunately, though, the, they are outgunned um, because Artemis, even though she does have a bow and arrow, Nightwing doesn't really have any kind of projectile device. So they're trying to hide behind the wall, which is unfortunately where the rocket fire is also going to be coming out from. So they're trying to figure out what to do. Thankfully, Superboy in the bio ship um, shows that he has the skills, you know, channeling his Independence Day time and just shooting everything up. He shoots down the missiles that are being launched at the rocket. He shoots at the uh, the troopers who are on the ground. This gives Artemis and Nightwing a chance to join into the fight. And man, uh, pe- for people who have no superpowers, I swear their hands are rated E for everybody and are just supercharged. 
Nightwing was doing things with those Eskrima sticks that I like I didn't think were humanly possible. Like he, sure. he was just giving them the work. Artemis, no slouch either, uh, proving she's not rusty. And eventually all the forces are beaten down so much that Aqualad's like, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and rises from the water. And as he gets to the surface, McGann has to choose between saving Lagoon Boy, who has been captured, and taken Aqualad ordered to be taken back to the base, or destroying the missile silo that's going to destroy the rocket. So she decides to take one for the team, redirects a missile with her telekinesis mm. back into the launcher, destroying that threat. But now Calder is summoning water dragons. So, uh, yeah, they're going to have to deal with that on the surface. <laughs> I also want to say this is probably like top five best water entrances that Calder has had on this oh. show so far. <laughs> he, uh, yo, he kills it this season with the water. Words. Like, I mean, yes, he's evil and whatnot, but the man makes a good entrance as, again, he summons a water dragon. Um, this knocks Nightwing off to the side as it fully hits Artemis. Uh, and then Calder goes into immediate attack mode as he has summoned two Aqua Mjolnirs is what I'm going to call them now. <laughs> um, to start battling it out against them, uh, he knocks Nightwing off to the side again. This gives Artemis a chance to try to, using some more hand-to-hand combat, to try to take down Calder. And it looks like it's working. Unfortunately for her, he wraps her up in a way that it gives him an opportunity to pull that Arya Stark um, as he transforms one of his weapons into a blade. And that blade pierces her body from just, it actually goes through. It's it's kind of shocking to see as he whispers to her, welcome back. So that brings us back to the full circle moment of that we saw in the intro. And to add so much salt on the moon, the rocket explodes anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though they stopped all the missiles. So as we're reeling from all of this, we see everybody in the team realizing that Artemis is dead. Uh, Alkalad returns to Black Manta, where Black Manta reveals the true goal of his whole mission wasn't destroying the rocket. In fact, he had planted a bomb on the rocket that automatically detonated when it reached a certain altitude. Yo, Black Manta's not playing around. <laughs> Why isn't he ruling the world? Um, <laughs> but the whole test was... He wanted to see if Calder would take credit. Calder, of course, was like, I didn't... It was just a random bomb. And he was like, the true character is revealed not in success, but in failure. Which is really good advice. This mm-hmm. is not the way to teach your son that, though. <laughs> it leads us into a moment where it's just like, we are shocked because it does feel like Calder has completely shifted over to the dark side here. As the rest of the team is mourning in Mount Justice... Uh, Superboy and Mal have a conversation where Mal is just wondering, you know, where's Nightwing? Because he's ready to get into the field himself to take down Calder. But he tells him that um, Nightwing went to go tell Wally about what happened. As we jump on over to Bloodhaven, a favorite spot for Nightwing fans and Nightwing himself, where he's in a warehouse. He's looking at a picture of Artemis, uh, the same picture, actually that he took with her, surprisingly took with her back when Artemis first attended Gotham Academy. And it's just a nice thing because he calls back the line in which he says, we're going to laugh about this someday. As he's standing there, Calder enters the room. 
and we're ready. We're thinking it's going to be on site. But then Wally enters the room and walking behind him is a woman in a hood. And upon taking off her hood, it reveals that it's actually Artemis, who is alive and well, standing next to Wally. Now it's revealed that only the four of them in this room know that Artemis is not really dead. Aqualad is still on the good side and is in deep, deep cover for them. And Nightwing says, you know, the faking the death of Artemis was part of the plan, but losing the rocket and Lagoon Boy was not. And Aqualad quickly points out, it was either that or kill him, which, I mean, that would have been fine with the other way. But uh, <laughs> he did... <laughs> He did do that to save Lagoon Boy's life. And now for the next phase of their plan, Artemis will go undercover. So there's a magical charm that she gets to hide her identity. And when asked where Nightwing got it, he goes, well, remember how the R on my costume stood for Riz? I got that from Zatanna, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that that was a good one. That was a good (laughs) one. Oh my gosh. Um, so <laughs> Nightwing with all of his Riz gives this charm over to Artemis. Um, it's revealed to be a glamour charm that is able to transform how Artemis looks, and only the four people in the room, including Artemis herself, would know what she, who she really is. When you see her reflection in a pool of water nearby, we see that she has become a brunette woman uh, instead of her blonde self. As she leaves with Aqualad, this is it, it. We don't know what's next here, but we do know that Wally isn't really convinced that you know this is the hard part of the mission, which was to it seems to get Artemis to work alongside Aqualad because he was he was too deep undercover for this, and he just needed some assistance. So, but now they know that the dangerous part of the mission is here. As it's now trying to figure out, like, will the end result satisfy this? for some group of this team as we hop onto our next episode, Satisfaction. Yes. So this episode starts in a really savage place where mm-hmm. um, Ollie's goatee is insulted. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's hard. It was a hard, it was a hard line uh, to, oh, to open on. But in reality, we are opening on the real Roy is in the hospital with the missing arm. And he's just trying to put, everything together about what happened and it's revealed that during a mission Roy was that Roy was on against Lex Luthor he got caught by surprise Lex's goons grabbed him and uh, swapped him out Um, and apparently they needed a constant supply of his DNA so that's why they took his arm Um, you know presumably I guess because fingernails keep growing and they could just preserve it naturally. And Ollie, man, this man has been through it because mm-hmm. he got fake clues that led him to the clone three months later. So he thought, he was like, in retrospect, they were spoon-fed to me. I should have seen this coming. And you think that would be the end of this, but Ali is not off the hook in this room quite yet. Yeah, because as the real Roy Harper is uh, talking this through, he's realizing that, you know, okay, cool. This other Roy Harper is a clone of me. He's lived my life. You know, he even states that 
I can't be mad at you for living your life because even Ali points out that he spent the last five years looking for this real Roy Harper. So as clone Roy is trying to figure out what to say next, this is where the real Roy jumps in and says, yeah, he spent three years impersonating me and the next five trying to find me. But Ollie, where were you this entire time? Seems like you gave up on this search. I was clearly just a throwaway for you. You know, I thought we were partners, teammates, all of this. And it was clear that you more or less without saying that you didn't give a shit about me, which is really hard for Ollie to hear because Again, Ali has just gone through so much, especially within the three months that Roy was missing, that he decides to just excuse himself in the room. The clone Roy decides to go follow Ali and he finds him in the church, in the hospital sanctuary, where he, Ali just kind of breaks down and says, damn, I'm really a cursed mentor, aren't I? Because of everything that's happened here, everything that happened to this clone Roy, the red arrow here, everything that's happened to the original Roy Harper, Every single psychic he's had connected with him, even Artemis. This is so. This is still he's still reeling from the death of Artemis herself. That he realizes that like he has to be the problem, not them. I also would advise him to talk to Batman because. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hold, hold that drink real quick. <laughs> I mean, um, there have been many iterations of Batman in which a Robin has decked him in the face. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So Clone um, Roy has kind of mellowed out a bit, maybe being a father himself, that <laughs> I don't know. But he's, he's there to support Ollie, and he understands, obviously understands what he's going through. So they try to go back into the room, and he's like, look, he, do- he doesn't want you, but trust me, I know, because I'm him. He needs you right now. So they try to go back to the room, but the original OG Roy is already gone. So elsewhere... I we're back at the base. <laughs> Mal is just is just as aggro. He's like, I want Aqualad's fish head on a platter. And I'm like, yo, yo calm down, calm down. <laughs> what are you gonna do against Aqualad, huh? Word. He, My he man just, can take your breath away. <laughs> he was throwing throwing hands at Superboy, my dude. I <laughs> Sit sit over there and watch the comms, all right? Word. You are super normal, Mal. Please take <laughs> several seats. You're one step above Chester on the flash. Sit down. <laughs> also at the base, we get to see the grotto, this underground place where there are statues to Tula, Jason, Todd, a blue beetle. And we have Impulse and Jaime talking and Impulse brings up a good point. It's like, why not um, statues in the Hall of Justice about all these fallen people? And Jaime comes back and says, truthfully, the, the Justice League doesn't want the world to know that heroes are not immortal. Mm-hmm. Damn, Jaime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn. I was, like, I, like we were saying, there are lines in this show, moments of dialogue. I'll have you sitting there just being like, damn, they write different here. Yeah, that SpongeBob breathing meme. You know, like that, <laughs> that's what you'll end up as. And Blue Beetle's also reflecting because he sees, you know, Ted Cord, uh, the memorial, and it's like, yo, Impulse, you got three mentors. I can't even cop one. Hmm. What is going on here? And Impulse is still reassures him and 
and, you know, tries to keep establishing that friendship. And meanwhile, elsewhere, we cut to Wally at the grave with Artemis's mother. Oh, man, I mean, this is just hitting hard scene after hard scene here. I do also just want to say, I think it's also pretty cool in the grotto that these statues to commemorate these fallen heroes are holograms. I think I just thought that was just really cool to see because it does give it a more lifelike appearance almost. Unfortunately, we don't get that for Artemis here at the graveyard we get, um, because it is just her tombstone. And this is where we see Wally is leaving her some flowers. He's with her mom right now, a person who we've gotten to kind of know a little bit from the first season as she's just sharing how sad she is about this loss because it's not even just a a sign of like, you know, she this was a terrible accident. She's connecting it to everything that she has experienced herself and the better life that she wanted for her daughter. So she's having this moment. She's like, I'm glad that my daughter was able to be a hero as she was, but it's clear that even my life, the life that I used to lead, the life of her father, the life of her sister, those all came in and impacted her to the point where it has led to her death. It's heartbreaking to hear, especially because we know at this point that, that she's not dead. And it's even more heartbreaking to see that Wally can't even give this woman any comfort because of the fact that if he shares that she's alive, this is this could mess with the mission. And then off in the distance, we see two more members of her family. We see that um, her sister, Jade, and her father, who sportsmaster, are both there watching. They are, you know, Leanne is there too, on not knowing what is going on. <laughs> but it's a very different kind of conversation I expected to come out from them. In which Jade is like, everybody's gunning for Aqualad's head, but I'm going to be the one to take it. And Sportsmaster, um, I, I, <laughs> this man, this man, this man had the audacity to say, yo, they came after the respect of our family. I'm trying to channel my dominant Toretto voice on this. Like, they came after family, but they came after our like style of family. You can't be out here killing our family, at least not without my say so. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. So we could get killed if you're cool with that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I yo, this, this I, he's like, I don't want to, if I just let this go by, I'm going to look like a punk. Right. For letting my daughter get killed by somebody else's son. I'm like, you got the, you're concerned on the wrong thing, my man. I bet he said, I'm going to come after Black Man so he and not going to have words. He had nothing to do with your daughter's death, sir. Just to make it hurt more. Just to, just to let people know he's not to be messed with. He's going to kill the dad that didn't even do anything. Like, <laughs> this man is petty. So oh my God. While, while they're planning on fish people to kill, uh, the OG Roy goes by a secret arrow cave. And he's able to scan in because he's using Red, Red him and Red Arrow have the same face, which he calls original uh, for the name. And... <laughs> He gets as many weapons and tools as he can in a short time, puts on his old costume as well. And right when Ollie and Red Arrow get there, OG Roy, I, I got to give it to him. He's smart because he uses a boom tube 
put leaves a grenade behind though mm -hmm. that explodes and makes it impossible to follow him immediately. But Red Arrow is smarter than Ollie apparently because he's like, yo, <laughs> let's just check the computer. And they see that he went to Metropolis and is probably going to go kill Lex Luthor for all of this. And in one of the best transitions I've ever seen, we cut to Lex Luthor in his office, just signing paperwork, complaining about, ah, doing being evil is so much paperwork. And without even raising his heart rate or pulse, he looks up and says, I see the boy has abandoned his hospital bed and it cuts to Roy about to assassinate this man with a rocket launcher. Lex doesn't care. Lex doesn't care. <laughs> and, and for good reason. Because after a quick pun from original Roy talking about, God, I love that modern warfare. He shoots this rocket launcher into the office of Lex Luthor's building as he heads on over to try to see if he landed his target or does he get to continue using the rest of his weapons in his utility belt here. Uh, Lex Luthor does survive as he heads on down to the parking garage um, with his bodyguard Mercy in tow. So as he's trying to figure out what to do next, we hop on over to a random scene where Connor is, apparently today is Connor's birthday. Um, happy birthday to him. He is, he's chatted up by this woman named Wendy, who um, it seems like now Connor has attended, is attending college. So this woman, she starts talking to him saying, oh my gosh, you know, like love your birthdays. You know, when McGann threw them, they were always a party, always love that you were surprised by them. It's the only reason why I remember your birthday. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. Like, damn. <laughs> Way to say that you have like no individuality. There's nothing else memorable <laughs> about you except the the things your your couple sends. Oh my god, it's it's I would be insulted. But you know, he's got that super riz, so it's okay. Um <laughs> yeah, and also speaking of random scenes, this is also a scene we also get a bridal shower for Raquel, aka Rocket. And, you know, all the heroines are teaming up and we get a nice, really contemplative moment where they're like, how can we do this? How can we celebrate without Artemis? And they, they you know, they collectively decide she'd want us to go on. You know, she'd want us to be happy. And again, this is all so much more tragic because, we know, she's completely fine. And uh, Captain Cold who's <laughs> I guess their only direction in the notes was just laugh uh, that, that's your character so while he's planning something nearby it's revealed that Lex had, you know now that he has survived thanks to his customized desk it's now him and Mercy in the parking garage against OG Roy who blows up a Lex's car immediately and now it's just an all-out brawl between Mercy's laser arm and OG Roy with all his tools. And I'll just drop it quickly to because this plot line is wrapped up in two scenes. Uh, we come back to Captain Cold real quick. All the heroines suit up, and he's like, "I'm I'm completely screwed, aren't I?" And uh, they're like, "Yep, that was overkill. Yeah, <laughs> only Rocket needed to suit up. Like it's Captain Cold. Like, come on." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, 
only Dinah Lance, Black Canary, needed to suit up. It is Captain Cole. <laughs> Even that feels like overkill, honestly. <laughs> I would also be remiss to not include the, well, the Hamilton reference before Hamilton was a thing. <laughs> um, as we know, this episode is called Satisfaction. Uh, there's a bridal shower. And there is a scene in which they say a toast to the bride, to which led me to start singing Satisfied <laughs> during the rest of this scene because it was appropriate. I think uh, Lin-Manuel set that up. I think he was behind the scenes for this one. Mm. Oh, yeah. He was working with uh, with Impulse. He was like, yo, while you're back there in, in back in time, just throw in that thing real quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen. Just let throw it back there. So now that we have wrapped up, Captain Cold is um, getting the, you know, his just Captain Cold happened. Uh, <laughs> we have that Roy and Mercy are just engaged into, I want to say hand to hand combat so bad, but I feel like that's insensitive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are throwing every single weapon at each other. Uh, Roy's holding his own very well. There's like a crazy amount of weapons that he has that's, says mercy flying fun fact robots bleed apparently in this universe um i don't know how advanced mercy is but this large battle leads to roy trying to figure out how can he take down a robot with just one arm and he looks through the rest of his um it's not even the tool belt anymore it's a fanny pack of weapons As he grabs, out of all the things he could grab, there were, it looks like there were guns, more bombs, mines, whatever you could call it. He grabs rope. And he uses this rope, and he takes it and wraps it around Mercy's arm. Now, we thinking that maybe, oh yeah, this is a terrible idea. Of course it is. Apparently, there's a thing called detonation cord in this universe. Um, I don't know what the patent pending processes for this thing but it, it makes sense in the construction version the way that roy used it was just overkill <laughs> yeah and i also do want to mention one of my favorite action pieces here is that roy used a nightstick to fight mm. a robot with one arm <laughs> bro come on now um uses a cord to relieve mercy of her arm and then tries to do the same to lex and as Lex is, a, you know, Lex is, again, unbothered, um, <laughs> all his security shows up and he says, you know, basically, yeah, you could do that. And um, whereas like, it would only be fair. And Lex is like, but you had anesthesia. So actually, it wouldn't be that fair. In any case, you're cornered. I could kill you at any minute. But I'm going to ask you something. Do you want revenge or satisfaction? And he hands him the case that he had taken from his office earlier. And as Holly and Red Arrow arrive to LexCore to see it's already up in smoke, OG Roy walks out, opens the case, and reveals it's a metallic arm with all the fittings. Presumably can do anything Bucky's arm can and more. (laughs) And he says that he is quite satisfied. This leads into... um... Another moment in this, which was a callback throughout the entire fight, where Lex comments that Roy has quite the arsenal. Now we're under the impression that it's all the weapons that he has in his fanny pack. 
he says no. Um, he equates Arsenal to that of the wits and the um, stratagem that a person might have as they're engaged in battle. Because Roy, again, is holding his own against a full-on killer robot with, damn, I almost said one arm tied behind his back. Uh, so with only one hand. So Roy, upon pulling his cybernetic arm from the suitcase, he states, you know, he's decided to go by the new name, Arsenal, as a callback to what Lex has told him. This is kind of like a little callback to our episode where it's just like we saw that heroes would lead into connections with the uh, with villains. And some might say they are the darkest of connections, which will then lead us now into our next episode, Darkest. Yeah. And now we are back to Lagoon Boy. <laughs> He's in jail trying to trying to call out Aqualad. But Aqualad doesn't care. You know, Aqualad doesn't is not here for his threats. And especially now that we know what he's doing, that this act saved his life. Um, it's also doubly hard for him. So they knock Lagoon Boy out, thankfully, and he's put on ice. And Aqualad re reaffirms that he'll do whatever it takes to join the light. Even because apparently his last display still wasn't quite enough. So now he's sent on another mission with the real terror twins, Isaacle Jr. and Tigress, which is really Artemis in disguise. Probably should have picked a name another step removed, but uh, from her <laughs> family's cat theme, but that's fine. And one of the most fun aspects of this is that Icicle Jr. is still hung up on Tuppence <laughs> after McGann pretended to be her. They've never actually met, but he's still absolutely in love with her, which I think is so funny. <laughs> I did love the fact that five, it was like five years? My man, do you have like a, a picture of her framed in your room? <laughs> and it's just like, well, it's, it, it reminds me of like Helga probably has like a shrine of, like has the shrine of um of Arnold. He probably has like a shrine of Mitch Martian. <laughs> Definitely Icicle, you know, <laughs> like an Icicle <laughs> shrine instead of gums. But and also, in case you were worried, we do have our most jacked character here today as I don't know what happened to this guy because Tommy Terror went from looking like Superboy in season one to looking like that version of the blob from, um, I think it was X-Men Origins Wolverine, where it was just the most <laughs> yeah. jacked looking dude. Tommy Terror makes that guy look small in this. <laughs> like, it is wild. I don't know what happened. So as they're all talking about like, how is it that we can actually trust Calder and all that? Tigress kind of comes back and says, are you sure you actually want to challenge Black Manta and saying that his son and his son's right-hand person aren't equipped to do this job? So this shakes sh 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 a little fear into them as we hop on over to, um, you know, join back up with our heroes of the show. Jaime and Impulse are <laughs> decide to have a guy's night out because Impulse decides to surprise Jaime by just showing up at his house in full-on costume. Yeah, and I, I do love that they're like, why are you so hung up on the secret identity thing? It's like, yo, your world is maybe burnt out. We don't know that yet, but <laughs> and it doesn't matter because everyone's mostly dead. But come on, man. And um, as they go to hang out, we see that Mal uh, goes to try to pick up um, the little 
I was like, honeybee, that's not her name. <laughs> <laughs> honeybee. I think that's his pet name for her. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, honeybee. Uh, Mal goes uh, to pick up Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Karen, Karen. I think she's Karen. Karen or Bumblebee. <laughs> goes to pick up Karen, who is busy with some college activities. So as they head out, Blue Beetle and Wally are just doing guy stuff, blowing up things and blowing up boulders in the desert with their powers. And Wally at one point takes a bunch of the rubble and creates a mural that can only be seen from the air, uh, which, you know, I'll give them some points. That's pretty creative, inventive use of your powers. Mm. Unfortunately, their boys' night out is interrupted when all the villains we saw earlier arrive. Terror Twins... Um, just absolutely are there to rock everybody's day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they almost get them both, uh, wrap them both up. But they met Blue Beetle's skills, um, managed to get away. Impulse also steals the tracker Aqualad is holding. So together, the duo is able to get back and go to base. Um, and Nightwing immediately calls Impulse out, being like, you brought tech into the cave from the mission as a souvenir, and you didn't think that was a bad idea. Um, and he's like, oh, my bad. And it was a horrible idea because this device not only hacked the security, but it disabled the firewalls. So now Mount Justice is open for attack. Yeah, it is. It's scary to hear that, especially because we get all of this from um calder who it seems now like the villains are going to head their way into mount justice we do get a quick scene thankfully it's a very quick scene of lagoon boy who is once again in captivity he is being transported to where a bunch of other captives are there we also do see that tie from our episode in which uh he was kidnapped he is among one of these people from the episode beneath um so as he's there he also overhears some kind of chatter and it's the same language being used throughout the entire season so far of the light's partner. So we do now get a bit more of a silhouette of these two individuals. And they're talking about, once again, the Medellin. They're talking about saying that how Lagoon Boy being um, who he is, he's from Atlantis. It doesn't make sense for him to be to even be here. And honestly, you know, I know they're evil, but they make great points. Um, but... Um, they do state that because Atlanteans evolved from humans, it is possible that they are a subspecies that might have the Medellin in them. So we get a chance to hear this. Lagoon Boy knocks back out. So this leads us now to the attack on Mount Justice, where once again, Aqualad comes through with the cool water entrance scene. I mean, I know my boy's hair is, hair is short, but I'm pretty sure the waves that we saw in the water were actually his. Like, fire. Yeah. Fire. Oh, yeah. Like, this guy, I think Black Manta, most of their time together is just like, all right, this is how you, this is how you enter a room, son. It's got, first of all, it's got to have water. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, none of this works. But he gets in, and in a really sad, quick beat, the sphere, you know, recognizes him, and he's like... I know, man, but I got to go to work. So now that he's in, we also get Artemis with Wolf, who Wolf can out, like, kind of tell what's going on, but um, lets her go because he's like, yeah, there's no problem here. 
And again, again, these really quick, sad beats like Beast Boy is in his room watching Hello, Megan, mm-hmm. you know, his mom's show. And then he immediately gets knocked <laughs> just into three weeks from now into the <laughs> into the red multiverse from Titans <laughs> by Tuppence in one punch. God. They were probably probably started playing superhero um, <laughs> at the same time too. That was his wake up song. It was just like, oh, I'm in the red. Oh no, I'm just seeing red. Yeah. And uh, in one of the smartest tactics I've ever seen, Ice Junior is fighting Superboy when Tommy Terror is that his name? Yeah, is Tommy it? Terror. To- Tommy Terror comes in and puts a collar on Superboy and is like, "Look, I could fight you, but I ain't gonna take no chances." Reducing Superboy's strength. And now leaving Nightwing, Impulse, and Blue Beetle as the only lines of defense for the the Mount Justice. And, you know, as we try to figure out what's going to happen here, we do jump back over to see that um, Mal is hanging out with uh, Karen Bumblebee here. They're in Ray Palmer's office for, you know, as we know him as the Atom. She's doing some science as he is just scrolling through TikTok on his phone realizes that this is taking longer than he expected. Um, he suggests that they hang out at a place which she says to actually close down. So it does start leaving us with the questions like, is Mal actually going outside instead of just like hanging around Mount Justice, working on the comms? At that moment, Dr. Palmer does walk in and he lets her know that he's very impressed with her work, especially what's going on now, and that she probably might have to hang around for another couple hours so this is where Mal just decides to leave and no one even sees him leaving. As we head on back to Mount Justice, the Nightwing is looking over the device and as he's analyzing it, the he, first thing that happens is he hears an alarm going off and shouts out, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. As he takes out his weapons, he screams sticks. Unfortunately, uh, Tommy Terra had a screaming stick of his own that was Superboy as he throws it straight at Nightwing's head. Man, this man is having a rough time. Yo, <laughs> These word. last few days have been bad. Uh, so Isaac Jr. tries to take out Impulse, and I like this little exchange where he he shoots at the ground, and Impulse is like, yeah, shooting Ice at the ground for a speedster, classic first move. So he dodges that, takes Icicle Jr. out. Unfortunately, uh, that's not that's going to be their only W today because he can't do <laughs> anything against Tommy Terror. There's his punches can't move quick to affect someone that jacked. Even Tigress is rocking Nightwing to the point I'm like, I can is can Tigress beat Nightwing solo? I've kind of felt like she can. And that's the death battle I like to see. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> get this going, guys. And uh he puts she collars him. He says, Ha, I don't have powers for you to take away. She's like, oh, who cares? Electrocutes him. <laughs> so savage. And this whole sequence ends with Aqualad taking Beast Boy, Blue Beetle, and Impulse because he threatens Blue Beetle that he will blow up the base if, you know, they don't come quietly. So he leaves the bomb just as extra insurance and also punches Nightwing in the stomach. Man, you didn't have to do that, man. Like, Yo, that hit was so hard. You, you, you like, I feel like the screen shook. And then you heard the concussion, the concussive blast that came from that. And that was just a regular punch. That, that was like, 
one of those anime, you know, like <laughs> yeah, he left him on the ground like Yamcha. <laughs> yeah. He it was hurting. And um as they get to the beach, Blue Beetle says the scarab at least goes, What if this is the bluff? and tries to make one more break for it. Jaime is against it because at this point the scarab is telling him that yo, we could I could dis- disable the um inhibitor collar, but he is afraid about it being a bluff. But this is where we learn that the scarab is a bit more powerful than we thought as he takes over Jaime's body and immediately starts attacking Tigris and Icicle. He blasts Calder, uh, which causes Calder to drop this quote-unquote dead man switch, revealing that it was a bluff. So Blue Beetle starts charging at him, and um, this is when Calder releases a blast of his own magic. And this is where he states, okay, so at least we know that the beetle is um, susceptible to mystical energy. And at this moment, because his armor is partially off, this is when Tigris takes out Sedadar and hits him with it, passes out as the villains continue on with taking uh, Beast Boy, Blue Beetle, and um, Impulse back onto their ship. As we're left trying to figure out what to do next, like how do we save our heroes? This is where the villains, the um, Icicle, the Tommy Terror, and all of them, they're talking about how, you know, why is it that we couldn't take out Superboy? And even saying that like Calder's soft because he clearly didn't want to um, hurt his former teammates, which causes Calder to look over by Tig- Tigris and he tells her to do it, which she questions at first, but he's like, I, we have to. And she takes out her own uh, detonator as the bomb goes off and destroys the entire mountain. Thank God Mal was trying to hit on Karen because he mm-hmm. would have not survived that one. Nope. <laughs> Woo. So we find in the wreckage in the sea, Nightwing is floating on some debris with Superboy, Sphere, and Wolf, uh, who just barely escaped the explosion. And as they're de- when Nightwing is debriefing with Kid Flash about everything that went down, it's revealed that the punch was to transfer a flash drive, though I don't know. There was some anger in there. There, mm-hmm. there was some some of the ancestors <laughs> kind of took over for that for a minute. No chance. Um, and it's revealed that while most of this was planned, the stealing of the metahumans and the blowing up of Mount Justice wasn't completely like they had talked about and discussed. So things are starting to spiral a little bit. And Nightwing reveals also that he got caught in the debris field, even though they had evacuated, and that's what knocked them all out. So he's saying this is all worth sacrificing to stop the invasion, but even the the hall was worth sacrificing your souvenirs, Wally. And Wally does not take kindly to that. Yeah, he starts to question, are we even sure that Calder is truly on our side? And the reason why I'm saying we're calling him Calder now is because at one moment in during the whole taking of Mount Justice, Calder says, as as Nightwing is calling out to him, please call him Aqualad. He says, I've outgrown Calder, I mean, I've outgrown Aqualad. So as they're now calling him Calder here, Wally brings up a good question. He says, you know, he experienced a lot right before we decided to do this deep cover mission. He lost the love of his life, which was Tula. 
And he also found out that his dad truly was Black Manta, not like what he thought before, as we learned in season one. So are we even sure that this double agent that we put in there is truly not a triple agent? And Nightwing doesn't have an answer for that. He's just going through on blind faith that his friend, the person who he's seen as a teammate for years over the span of Young Justice and as a friend, as a sidekick who was also experiencing the same psychic issues he was experiencing back when they were under the tutelage of their mentors. He's just hoping and praying that his friend hasn't turned from the good side to the light. Now, as we jump over to Calder talking with Black Manta, the two of them are exchanging that, hey, the mission was a complete success. You got more than we even intended. So in that, now it's time for us to introduce you as a new member of the Light. Yes, and this is where you see the council of all the top Light members. And Rachel Ghoul personally says he's impressed. And you impressed Rachel Ghoul? Mm-hmm. Mm. You, you, you doing something wrong, but you doing it right, <laughs> Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> So we close with the ominous hint that Calder is getting closer to meeting their boss. And as we try to figure out who this partner is, um, but more importantly, what in the world are actually chicken whizzies, which is something that both Blue Beetle and Impulse eats. And I'm, I'm just worried of like what actually is in the system of chicken whizzies. As we figure that stuff out, uh, here's a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment, for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. All right, so... From our costly maneuvers episode, uh, there was a lot that was lost, and we have to wonder what was the cost of it. We lost Mount Justice. Roy lost an arm. Um, we, quote-unquote, lost Artemis, or Artemis, quote-unquote, lost her life. <laughs> uh, which of these episodes from these three would you give the most whelmed episode to? Look, in a regular week, any one of these could be the standout episode and mm-hmm. I would be happy with it in any week. So it is just criminal that we just have to compare them because these, <laughs> these are among the best of season two and perhaps the best of the series. Um, Man, I, it, it goes to, it goes to depth. I just got to say it. Uh, it hurts because <laughs> I love, I, uh, man, I loved satisfaction so much. Mm-hmm. I love this Roy story. I always love when they take characters you don't care about normally and turn them into such great protagonists. Yeah. But with Depths, you have, of course, the Artemis twist right along the Calder twist, right along the Wally twist. <laughs> so many great twists that affect the rest of the season. And the plot is actually very exciting in its in of its own. It has a lot of great action set pieces in there. 
some satisfaction to finally get what's going on with Superboy and Magan. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, just a hand to hand super combat and also ethical questions of if they're doing what they're doing is right is asked every on every level by every character. Are we making the right choices? Mm-hmm. And that Superboy quote, just the uh, the touch of you in my mind, you know, that it was more of a betrayal of him. It's a personal betrayal, but also a bigger betrayal if McGann keeps using her powers like this. So for all those reasons more, the 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 symbolism, the plot, the the performances, you know, we don't always mention this, but the the voice acting on this show is top tier. This is yeah. some of the best voice acting you're gonna find anywhere. And the performances that every single one of these cast members give this week gave this week is simply tremendous. Um, so for all that reasons, all those reasons and more, depths. There are no depths to my love for this episode. How about you? <laughs> oh man. See, I agree that there are so many each of these episodes had so many strong moments that any one of them, if it was, you know, take this out, compare it to a one percent of germs or a static shock episode, there's a clear winner. Um this case, I was so stuck. Like, and I love satisfaction. Um, but I think, yeah, and the only thing reason why I didn't want to I couldn't give it the most whelmed episodes because it closes a plot point from season one but i wasn't too sure how much it propels it forward for the rest of the story not to say it's not a great episode in fact roy harper is this moment of con- of topic for our comic books um comic book knowledge today because i just i just wanted to make sure that you know as much as i hated roy in season one he does deserve his flowers for this one episode here it's amazing <laughs> yeah so that left me stuck between depths and darkest and i have to go with darkest because mm. I love depths. I love the the how we started the episode with like what can go wrong, jumping immediately into what went wrong, and then learning what led into that, and seeing, especially that reveal of like Calder actually not being as evil as we thought. And this is whole this whole thing is just like a mission. But the thing that put Darkest over the top for me is because we lost so much by the end of it. We lost three um, three new members of the team all of which we thought that were like going to be safe because it was just like, hey, they're new members. No one's going to come after them, especially because they have these connections to our original team here as well. Then we lost Mount Justice. Like that hurt because it was just like, you know, this is not even the first time that Mount Justice has been lost. And you know, that was like pre-Young Justice storytelling. But to find out that the whole place was destroyed, the place that was home for many, like this was this was um Garfield's home. This is soup. This was Superboy's home. This, the home of the many many souvenirs. This Martian called this home. Every single person at some point throughout the series has called this home. I don't know what Mal's going to do anymore. Like, is he out of the job now? Like, this is this hurts. Um, and I think bringing back some of these like characters that actually had ties to the team, like the Terra Twins, Icicle Junior. It was nice to see that even though these are like rando characters compared to the larger scheme of things they are they've been rocking with these these this team since like day one like we we have these connections with them but the thing that put it over the top for me was wally going off on nightwing because 
it's a nice little callback to, you know, especially because Nightwing, as De Grayson says, that he wasn't sure if he ever wanted to make that tough call to put his entire team at risk. And he's doing it right now. We don't know what's going to happen by the end of this season if or when the rest of the team finds out that Artemis is still alive and this was all a plot, and especially that Calder is working deep cover. And it does question, too, like, is Calder really still truly on our side? Wally brought up some really great points of, hey, he lost a lot. He lost two of the biggest things, his love and his identity, over the span of a couple of months. Are we truly sure that he's on our side? And the fact that Nightwing does not know the answer to this, it's astounding to see that someone who's always seemed to be so sure of himself from season one and having that growth and knowing that he didn't want to be like Batman and now entering into season two where it seems like he's the most respected leader of them all, to be like, I don't know the answer to that, it's hard. It's really good to see. Also, um, Jason Spizak as Wally gave a great performance to showcase in that anger because um, you can see, too, that Wally has grown over these last five years because now at risk is not only he's recognizing that Artemis is lost to the side. He's lost his best friend. Three new members of the team, two of which he has deep connections to, are also gone. So now it's like each character has grown up significantly over the past five years, and we got a chance to see how they've grown up in this core team setup here. Yeah, it's he's man. Like, like we said, Nightwing has had a rough go at it in like mm. these past few days, and he's just trying to keep together what he has, and even his best friend is questioning his motives so yeah this is things are really feeling boxed in and i do want to mention though i don't want to let them off the hook for this within five days they had a full funeral and called everybody and like for <laughs> artemis i'm gonna doubt that one guys <laughs> that's true like i need to know because like even if i would even give the give them the, um the excuse of being like oh batman was available he probably pulled some strings he was what are people telling people? Are they, what are people saying about these, like, like Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne? Are they just on extended vacations? I mean, it's fitting for Bruce. Mm. Uh, you know, Clark Kent could be on an assignment. But uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, let's face it. These heroes probably have a grave digger on call. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is a little too fast. Hmm. Is mm. this a trick of the light? Mm. <laughs> Just thinking about the gravedigger that's on call. This this is codename Undertaker when he is called <laughs> in for the recognized Undertaker. If it's like who, if it's Hoop Dreams, the Undertaker is the superhero gravedigger. <laughs> Wrestler by day, <laughs> by night, by day, digging graves for superheroes. Oh my god! Well, that perfectly leads into a next hero who has experience with digging graves and being put in one as well as we started talking about our comic book knowledge um as we're going to go through a little bit of the whole history of roy harper as you mentioned young justice comics they stopped at a certain point with issue number 25 back in season two um so seasons issues 21 through 25 covered what will lead into season two and right now this is why we are um each of these missions are happening basically back to back because there is no little comic book knowledge to help fill in the gaps here Roy Harper here, a little bit about his comic book knowledge and his history. Um, so, yes, the Young Justice series, 
ended with issue number 25. So we're going to just cover a little bit of like standout characters and give a little bit of their comic book origin and maybe some of the comic book connections that tied up and connected to the show here. So Roy Harper was first introduced in comics in, of course, her more fun comics, uh, the name of several comics and DC runs before DC became the full DC comic stand that it is. Uh, so more fun comics number 73 back in November of 1941. We saw Roy Harper, who's introduced by um, writer Mort Weisinger and artist George Papp. So Roy was an orphan son of a forest ranger who unfortunately died during a forest fire. And because Roy didn't have anyone else to take care of him, an indigenous man of Navajo descent by the name of Brave Bow uh, decided to take care of Roy because uh, Brave Bow at one point was saved by Roy's father, who also was named Roy um, Harper, Roy, um, Roy William Harper. So it's Roy William Harper Jr. So who we're talking about. Um, during his time of just the fact that he lost his father, Roy would grow up to just idolize Green Arrow and his feats of heroism. Uh, this led to Roy actually picking up archery himself and even joining in on a competition where, I mean, you know, you would think that if it's Green Arrow sidekick is top tier. A boy came in last. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start for a mentor for Green Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Green Arrow, I don't think you're a cursed mentor. I think you're just bad at picking. <laughs> um, but Green Arrow appreciated the... Um, the tenacity that Roy brought into archery. So he decided to have Roy join in as his sidekick just at the time, you know, when other heroes had their sidekicks. So Roy joined as Green Arrow sidekick Speedy. And he got this name because he's faster than Green Arrow. <laughs> that That's the whole origin? That's the origin of the name. <laughs> I think it kept coming up during the show. It's just like, why is Speedy called Speedy and not Kid Flash not called Speedy? Well, that's because Speedy was faster than Green Arrow. And um, so this led into Speedy and Green Arrow joining on their adventures. He would obviously go back to live with Brave Bo, but unfortunately when Brave Bo died, uh, Ollie decided to take over as Speedy's ward here. So the two became peas in a pod. Um, Speedy's skill increased over time, and he would eventually join the Teen Titans um, yo, shout out also to this man because he also ended up dating Donna Troy. Unfortunately, some hard times arrived as the Teen Titans disbanded. Uh, Donna and Roy broke up. And at one point, Green Arrow lost all of his money. So he decided to go on an extended road trip with Green Lantern and Black Canary. And because of that, uh, he basically ne neglected Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Just left him at home. Right. <laughs> they forgot to feed him. <laughs> Uh, so Roy, unfortunately, took this very hard. And by 1971, um, in a Green Lantern, Green Arrow story, mostly Green Lantern, uh, we got the 1971 award-winning story, Snowbirds Don't Fly. And this is when it's revealed that Roy has become addicted to heroin. This leads into Roy getting kicked out by Oliver. Uh, and throughout the years after that, Roy just spends the entire time dealing with his addiction trying to get clean. Fortunately, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, does bring him over to Dinah Lance, where she gives him kind of room and board so where he can stay and recover. And thankfully, he does become, he does recover, he does get clean, and it, and this does lead to him becoming a recovering addict within the DC universe. One of the, um, one of the few, actually, I think, in the DC universe. So because he 
does get clean and recognizes that as a recovering addict, he's always going to st- struggle with addiction. He tries to make sure to make amends in the ways that he can, um, especially with him trying to join back up into the superhero game as he joins back up with the Teen Titans, where he eventually becomes Arsenal in New Teen Titans number 99, which was written by Marv Wolfman in 1993. And then finally, in the golden year of 1996, it got weird. So this is where Elseworlds stories start popping up. And by issue issue number two of Kingdom Come, this is, again, a DC Elseworlds story by Mark Wayne and Alex Ross, uh, Roy is introduced for the first time as Red Arrow. And although it was an Elseworlds story, it does become popular enough that Roy, after developing this relationship with Cheshire or Cheshire, I'm not bad about this. I know you were actually pronouncing it as Cheshire at some point in time. They, both names actually work, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a relief. Yeah. So Cheshire or Cheshire both work in the DC universe. Both are the same person. And this does lead to the birth of his daughter, Leanne. So because of his growth and eventually joining the Justice League himself, Roy adopts the name Red Arrow because through time, self-reflection, through going through the 12-step process and recovery, he decides to make amends with Green Arrow. Um, obviously, yeah, this is after a couple of punches that have been thrown by him towards Green Arrow. But he does battle his demons enough to recognize his own growth and decides that, you know what, even though I was mad at you, I recognize how much you've done for me. So I do kind of also want to respect that. And that's why he decided to take on the Arrow part of the name. Now, you're all probably wondering, um, Andrew, I probably know you're wondering this too. Is there any kind of connection between Young Justice and his story, stories and comics? And there's a lot, including his drive to find the original Roy (laughs) and the fact that he actually did lose his arm. Okay. Okay. I was like, are you going to connect this to Teen Titans? And, you know, (laughs) the Titans East? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, we we can't. That's a whole other episode. Talk about that split. In the story Justice League Rise of Arsenal number one by JT Kroll back in 2011, Roy is on monitor duty. He's actually talking with his daughter and Prometheus enters the enters the space and immediately starts to attack Roy. So Prometheus is a green arrow Batman villain, not quite like the one that we saw in the Arrow TV show. Uh, This one does have superpowers. (laughs) Um, So during the battle, Prometheus cuts off Roy's arm and he uses this blade that has some kind of like toxic trait to it or some kind of like, I, I, I don't know, it's kind of like a mecha toxic trait. It was like some part machine, part biochemistry kind of thing. Basically, what ends up happening is that Roy can't put any prosthetic on his arm without it basically disintegrating or causing him extreme pain. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's come on, man. You didn't have to go. You didn't have to go that far. It's just Roy. <laughs> it went farther. Oh no. Because Prometheus set up bombs all around Star City and blows up the entire Star City. And we see as Roy's daughter Leanne ends up getting hurt and killed during this explosion. This man, this man's life. <laughs> um, Roy spirals once again because of the fact of losing his arm. He eventually becomes addicted to painkillers, uh, which leads into his um, his addiction to once again 
to heroin and dealing with his arm now, which is what we did see in this episode today, Cyborg and Dr. Midnight, Dr. Midnight for those who don't know is a Justice Society of America member who has been, um, I don't know if to say gaining popularity, but has become more well-known following the events of the Stargirl series that was formerly on DC Universe that shared time slot with CW. They built him a mechanical cybernetic arm that was able to help push him through the pain that he was experiencing with other prosthetics. Unsure if it kind of worked the same way as this one that we'll see in this uh, series of Young Justice, but because of everything dealing with his addiction, the new arm, you know, you could tell there's going to be a bunch more stories that are coming out of that. Once again, none of it mattered because of Flashpoint. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? That's a relief, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> scrub it all over. It, yeah. He needed to start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Roy does come back. Leanne does get erased from the timeline. So Roy comes back younger, longer hair, both arms intact. Um. He adopts more of a kind of like a um from the walking dead i'm blanking on his name right now uh so the d daryl he, he adopts yeah, a, yeah, yeah yeah sorry thank you <laughs> he adopts a daryl persona kind of uh where he's like comical but can be serious when he needs to be so that's basically his storyline for new 52 he teams up with jason todd and um and starfire they formed the red hood and the outlaws and they're basically kind of like mercenary superheroes Later on, Roy does die, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So this was following the events of um, Heroes in Crisis. Not quite a crisis story, but what ends up happening is he is killed when in this moment of sanctuary, a place where heroes with problems can go to to kind of recuperate. One hero in particular, unfortunately, can't stop himself, and he ends up killing everybody in sanctuary. Um, I think we've talked about this briefly during our Static Shock um, gun violence episode. So he, that person, that hero was Wally. He unfortunately kills everybody after a blast, um, basically knocks everyone out. And again, because his comics, Roy does get revived following the events of, um, I believe it was like Zark Infinite Crisis or another dark story arc. Um <laughs> Roy is alive and well. Um, now that we are joining into the dawn of DC, where everything is going to be a bit more connected between shows, animation, movies, and comics, Roy has returned. They, he is now joined in the search for Green Arrow, who has who actually went to a different plane of existence during the events of that comic book story. But in a lighter note, prior to that, during another crisis type event called Convergence back in 2016, Leanne was revived, thankfully, by the work of this conversion of the world, where she adopted the name of the of and decided to go out as her own vigilante of Cheshire Cats. And just last week, as we're recording this right now, Green Arrow number one showed that the two of them have been reunited after the I don't know, what is it now like seven years of the two kind of like existing knowing that maybe that the other existed, but wasn't too sure. The two finally embraced in the hug. So there's more stories to come. Um, Roy has both his arms. Leanne is alive once again. And unsure about Cheshire where she's at currently, but glad to know that, you know, 
Young Justice is kind of tying into those stories. And the reason why I brought up the desire to find the original Roy is not because of the clone that existed. There is not a Roy clone, but Roy himself in the comics spent a lot of time looking for his daughter, including at one point where he teams up with Cheshire to team up with Deathstroke, where Deathstroke also got re-addicted to drugs. Also, Killer Croc is his sponsor. That's... Now you're just making stuff up. I am not. <laughs> oh my god! One of the best moments in comics I've ever seen is Roy and Killer Croc have this sit-down conversation talking about their former drug use, and it's heartwarming to see that. Hey, beyond evils, black, uh, good and evil, black and white, we can have a sit-down conversation between both sides and be like, "Hey, this 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 thing is hitting both of us." Even even Killer Croc, the cold-blooded, can be heartwarming. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Roy has a very full, rich, crazy uh, history. A lot of it is crazy. A lot of it is fun. Um, so I'm kind of glad that with Satisfaction, we got a really cool look into this character, a character who we, you know, wasn't too fond of in season one. I'm kind of glad to see his growth now. Yeah, he's much, much more well-rounded now. Now that we have the other side of him and the source of his angst instead of him just being angsty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, think he's much better than he was. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode here today. You could join us next week for um, as we continue on our coverage of Young Justice. Make sure to take care of yourselves and remember that CPR training is available online as well as paying to get certified in it. And just so you always just know for future reference, Nightwing actually did the full move correctly, where it's 30 chest compressions with two breaths being administered right after. Repeat the process until proper service can arrive. And if you are losing count on the way that the chest compressions can fall, some songs that may help you are Staying Alive, Never Do Another One Bites the Dust, but also Bad Bunny's Titi Me Pregunto also helps out a lot too. And if you're the only person in your superhero team with no powers or no costume, go hit on that girl. It might save your life because you weren't there for the big base explosion. Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.